Hi, this is Robert Schuler with Melissa's Produce, and you're listening in on Cord Vines and Dye. Good afternoon, this is Eldo Masalda from the Gunbo Kings. You are listening to Cord's Vines and Dimes. One step in time. So, Kat, is it just me, or is this year flying by? It is. We're, it's November. We're in November. <laughs> I can't believe it. I know. It's shocking. Well, welcome to Chords, Vines, and Dines. Indeed. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. We've, we've been busy. We've been really busy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been oh, productive. Absolutely. We've got, once again, a, a wonderful show in store for you. Our friend Sean Roberts is going to be back with his Inside the Spotlight. We have an at-length conversation with Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce. Melissa's, of course, is our official produce sponsor. And your friend and now mine, Alden Lizalda. Yes, from the Gunboat Kings. And we've got music of uh, the Gunboat Kings are going to be playing. And including one of my very, very favorites that Eldon wrote. Your Green Eyes. Those Green Eyes. Those Green Eyes. That was written for his wife. Jeanette. Yes, and she is a sweetheart. I love Jeanette. So I love all the gunboat kings and everybody. So I'm excited. Good folks. And uh, so sh- should we get on to Sean right now? Yes, let's uh, check in with our monthly Inside the Spotlight with Sean Roberts. Welcome to Inside the Spotlight. I'm Sean Roberts, reporting on reviews on gear and other items for musicians, as well as music news, music trends, and advice to those wanting to get inside the music industry. Well, since our last episode, we discussed about the etiquette of busking and gave you guys some advice about that. But since then, a lot of people have kind of sent in some emails asking, well, what is the best equipment to use for busking? Well, outside of the typical... SM58 microphone, some a good microphone cable and a good guitar cable and your favorite guitar. The biggest question really is, what is the best amp to use for busking? Well, there are many to choose from out there, but I will tell you what my, one of my favorites are, which is the Roland Street Cube. Now, this is the Cube EX. Now, this is a stereo amplifier, and it's an all-purpose, on-the-go amp. Now, what's nice about it is that you get up to 20 hours of battery life, which is more than enough for a day's performing. 
Plus, you get four independent channels for microphone and guitar, which allows you to set up the perfect sound for singing and playing. Now, with 50 watts worth of power with dual woofers and tweeters, it's plenty to project your sound to large audiences. I would say even up the crowds to about 50 to 75 people. Now, with an iCube link, you can also even plug in your iPhone or iPad to play backing tracks for this and record your performances as well. So what makes this thing so special? Well, basically, you get a mic instrument input that you can flip back and forth in between a microphone or an instrument. You get a three-band EQ on the first channel, as well as reverb and its own volume control. So again, you can plug in the microphone or an acoustic guitar. The next section basically is a mic or guitar input. Again, it does have a combination microphone or line input, but it also comes in with a three-band EQ, chorus and delay, and reverb, and also you get a built-in tuner, plus Roland's famous Cosm amplifier that gives you a lead, crunch, clean acoustic simulator, or if you just want to plug in your acoustic guitar in through that, you can as well, plus it has its own independent volume knob. Now the third section basically, you have two audio ends. One is a stereo eighth inch, or the iLink, or the iCube link rather, plus also a stereo in for maybe a keyboard with its own volume control as well. You also get a battery indicator, whether it lets you know whether your battery is full, half full, or low. Not only that, your output, you can either put it at economical, normal, or max, to give you the length, different lengths of power and as much power as you need during your gig as well. Now, this thing is not cheap. It does go for about $5.99, either through any of your major retailers, whether it be Sweetwater, Guitar Center, Sam Ash, whoever it may be. So, but this is the latest and greatest on this amplifier. However, if you're looking to slim it down a little bit on the money, well, that's pretty easy. You can find a used version anywhere from around $200 to about $300 on average. All you gotta do is just jump on your local Craigslist or Reverb.com, check your local listings on those for any used gear. I'm sure you'll find any of its predecessors at any place that sells used gear, whether, again, whether it be a pawn shop, Craigslist, Reverb.com, again, it really doesn't matter. The key thing, though, is to make sure you do find the one that is a 50-watt output. There is another one out there that is a 10-watt output, which does the job pretty well, but you definitely want to get that power and the inputs as well, so make sure you do shoot and look for the 50-watt version. So there you go, guys. That's my big review there on the Roland Street Cube EX. Happy hunting when you go out and find it, but they are out there. All right, well, in news, this year's MTV Europe Music Awards ceremony have been called off due to the uh, vitality of the world's events relating to the ongoing Israel-Hamas uh, war. Of course, it was due to take place in Paris at the Paris Nord uh, Ville Pianti Exhibition Center on November 5th. But in a statement announcing the decision, the spokesperson for Paramount, uh, who owns MTV, said given the vitality of the world events, we have decided not to move forward with the 2023 MTV EMAs out of an abundance of caution for the thousands of employees, crew members, artists, fans, and partners who travel from across the corners of the world to bring the show to life. 
the, e, uh, the MTV EMAs are the annual celebration of global music, as which the devastating events in Israel and Gaza continue to unfold. This does not feel like a moment for a global celebration without thousands of lives already lost. It is a moment of mourning. While the ceremony has been canceled, though, voting will continue and the winners will still receive their awards. Organizers do say, though, that they plan to return in November of next year. All right, and rapper Drake and Michael Jackson have tied the most number one hits by a male solo artist in Billboard history. Uh, the rapper's track, First Person Shooter, which features J. Cole, debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, making it his 13th chart-topping song in the U.S. charts, which is a record that has yet to be surpassed since Michael Jackson's achieved it back in 1995. Now, both musicians are now tied, sharing the title of fourth most number one songs to chart on the Hot 100. The Beatles, of course, currently hold the reigning title for most number one tracks with 20 songs on the charts, followed by Mariah Carey with only 19. Ooh, so close. And Rihanna, close behind with 14. Now, ironically, though, the lyrics and first-person shooter anticipated the milestone with Drake rapping, I'm one away from Michael, and alluding to Michael Jackson's iconic 1982 hit, Beat It. Well, the Rolling Stones performed on Friday with Lady Gaga at a surprise intimate show in New York. Uh, the legendary band played a seven-song set at the 650-capacity Racket Venue, which is located in Chelsea, New York City, to mark the release of their 24th studio album, Hackney Diamonds, which is due out on... It came out actually this past Friday, come to think about October 20th. Now, for the encore, Mick Jagger introduced Lady Gaga to assist on the live debut of their recent collaborative single, Sweet Sounds of Heaven. The Stones also played their 2023 track, Angry, for the first time, as well as Whole Wide World and Bite My Head Off. Wow, great title, guys, from their long-awaited new record. Graham Nash has sold the rights to his back catalog to Irving Azoff's iconic artist group. The deal includes songs from his solo career as well as his time in The Hollies and Crosby, Stills & Nash. Nash did say that he's looking forward to working with the iconic team on various projects to further the legacy of Crosby, Stills & Nash's music as well as his own. Jimmy Edwards, who's the president of Iconic Artist Group, hinted that the unreleased music from Nash's solo work as well as his time in Crosby, Stills & Nash could be released in the future. He did continue saying that without giving too much away, that there is a wealth of material, both Graham's vault and the Crosby, Stills, Nash archives that he's incredibly excited about and fans will be too. So he wants us all to stay tuned, which means new songs from Graham Nash as well as Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Now, speaking of them, don't forget, we can't forget about Neil Young. Neil Young just announced details also of a new album called Before and After. Now, it's set to release later this year. The forthcoming LP will see the rock and roll icon revisit his back catalog. Everybody's doing their back catalogs. And re-recorded version of various tracks in a new light. Now, picking from a vast array of his originals, the majority of the tracks on the new album are solo acoustic re-recordings. Wonderful idea. Uh, set to arrive on December 8th via Reprise. Now, the album will see Young structure the track list so that the songs blend together and create one continuous flow from beginning to end. 
So if you got them, light them up, sit back, and relax. Now, speaking of uh, new albums, also Peter Gabriel has announced details of his new album, I.O., his first collection of new material in over 20 years. Now, the 12-track album will be released on December 1st and available in two stereo mixes, both on CD and vinyl, which is going to be really cool to hear on that. Over the course of 2023, Gabriel has been releasing a new song every time there's been a full moon, and he's played shows throughout the UK, Europe, and North America. Good for him. Now, after all these years' worth of full moon releases, he said he's very happy to see all these new songs back together on the good ship I.O. and ready for their journey out into the world. Now, for you guys out there who are... How do I say? Well, not sort of computer geeks, but production geeks or really into recording or recording geeks, I should say. Well, here's an offer you don't want to miss up for anybody, for that matter, if you're, especially if you're recording at home. Universal Audio is now offering a free LA-2A plug-in. That's right. Universal Audio, which is a worldwide leader in audio production tools, is offering the UAD LA-2A 2-compressor plug-in free for everybody. And you don't need an Apollo or a UAD hardware to require it. The LA-2A uh, 2 compressor plugin is a faithful emulation of its iconic optical limiter, giving creators the same smooth, radio-friendly dynamic controls on vocals, guitars, bass, synths, and more. Now, you can download this up until October 31st, so Halloween night's the last time you can do this. You can redeem your free LA-2A2 compressor plugin. Just go to uaudio.com. Well, once again, guys, I am Sean Roberts for Inside the Spotlight here on Chords, Vines, and Dines. But don't forget, you can also hear me on my very own podcast, Your Weekly Dose, which will finally be returning to the airwaves live every Saturday starting on November 4th at 10 a.m. You can listen live by going to yourweeklydose.com. Simple as that, and join us for all the laughs and fun. Now, back to you, Captain Tom. Okay. I love Sean. He is so knowledgeable, and he just he gets to the point. He really knows what he's talking about, and he's fun to listen to. And a great musician as well. We got to see him rocking out at uh, Rick, Rick and Patty's and, Jam. Yes, at the jam. That was so much fun. Yes. We had a good time. And uh, so we, are we going to go with our uh, game of foods? Let's do the game of food leading into Robert Schuler from yes. Melissa's Produce. So I'll start, and your category is cooking tools and techniques. Okay. How many layers of dough will you find in a classic six times folded croissant? Oh, my gosh. Is it 15, 82, 420, or 730? It's a six times folded croissant. How many layers of dough? Oh, gosh. That seems, that's, I have no idea. I'll say 15. Eight. 730. 730. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. That astounds me, too. Oh, my gosh. That so is. When you bite into a croissant, you're getting 730 layers of dough. That's incredible. That really is incredible. All right. Here we go to ingredients. Okay, let's do it. Renowned for their sweet flavor, Vidalia onions can only be grown in which state? Georgia. 
Okay. <laughs> what were, were there other choices? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those our listeners that could be playing along with this, let's go to A, Colorado, B, West Virginia, C, Louisiana, or D, Georgia. I'm going to go with D, Georgia. <laughs> okay. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> is that your final answer? <laughs> that is my final answer. People in pop culture, young lady, okay. what was the name of the ultra-high-fiber cereal in Saturday Night Live's famous commercial parody? Was it A, Farley O's, B, uh, New, N-U, Start, C, Free and Clear, or D, Colon Blow? <laughs> oh, God. I don't remember that from Saturday Night Live. I'll go with A. <laughs> Colon Blow. Oh, my God. I should have known. I should have known. Oh, that was, that's funny. Okay, regional dishes. Alrighty. Where are you most likely to find a mustard and chili topped Coney dog? Okay. C-O-N-E-Y, Coney dog. Right. Uh, Coney Island in Brooklyn, the New Jersey Shore, the Chesapeake Bay, or Detroit, Michigan? I'm going to say the Jersey Shore. <laughs> Is it the obvious, Coney Island? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Well, there you go. Yes. So, all right. The game of food leads us, leads us into our our food meister, our our produce friend Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce. Robert recently sent us just a, a box laden full of goodies, and uh, as we visited with him, we tasted a lot of them. Yes, we're still tasting them. In fact, right now I'm making apple butter with green dragon and hidden rose apples. Mm -hmm. Those hidden rose apples, are they incredible? You cut into them, they're all pink. They are just beautifully yeah. pink. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'll send Robert a jar. Yes, absolutely. I'll have it ready later today. Perfect. Here we go with Robert. Chad, here we go. We have our uh, our good friend Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce, uh, our official produce sponsor. And, uh, Robert, we look forward to talking with you uh, every season with with the new goodies that each season brings. How are things with you? Well, you know, it all has fallen. You, it's kind of hard to tell here in Southern California where I'm broadcasting here at Melissa's Produce, located in Los Angeles. Uh, but, you know, with the upcoming holidays coming up, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Also, this is our time of the year for a lot of new products available in the marketplace. This is your great items that are convenient, handy, easy to use, and, you know, in getting ready for Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, or New Year's, Melissa's can set you up. Robert, speaking of exciting things, you have some exciting news about T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Yes. Um, um, Melissa's Produce is known for our produce uh, in many of the venues especially in Southern California from Padre Stadium up to uh, L.A., such as the Crypto Center, Dodger Stadium, SoFi, and many more. But uh, also our food service program also extends into the Las Vegas market that we're really known for. And just recently um, officially became the produce uh, supplier for T-Mobile there in Las Vegas, home of the um, the Golden Knights hockey team and many exciting um, sporting 
and entertainment at their huge and wonderful venue, uh, which is kind of newer in the last few years there, and uh, definitely is a great entertainment uh, area uh, located in Las Vegas. And uh, Melissa is proud to support and supply the produce for any experience that you have at the T-Mobile uh, Stadium there in Las Vegas. Well, congratulations, and uh, Las Vegas is just really exploding right now, isn't it? It definitely is, not only from the sporting front, but entertainment and, of course, the housing front there, um, which, you know, is a popular uh, destination for vacationers, second home, and also now primary residents because so many new industries have moved into the Las Vegas uh, market. I know in the future that they're planning to have a baseball team, maybe possibly even a basketball team as well, but only time will tell there. Well, Robert, let's let's move on to these, uh, I would say box, but it's actually boxes of, of produce that you sent us uh, that we're going through right now, and Kat just cut into a hidden rose apple, and what a surprise, that beautiful pink color inside, Robert. Yes, and that's something we always look forward to um, the fall time because only the months of late October, uh, November, and December, and maybe in January, we have what are called hidden rose apples. This is an heirloom variety, what looks like kind of a common greenish-yellow apple on the outside. Its interior is different than any other apple. When you cut it, it has a pink flesh name why that is the reason why it's called hidden rose it's a sweet and tart variety so whether you like to eat it raw with its pink flesh or using it in cooking uh, for a baked bread or dessert a tart a turnover and yes the um, flesh does remain pink in color when it's cooked as well it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful apple. And you know, my yeah. sassy mamas, I make a, a, a really good apple butter with a medley oh. of apples. And this is one I will definitely be using. Well, awesome, awesome. We'll have to send you a jar, Robert. Great. And that's just one of many varieties of apples. You know, even though apples are available on a year-round basis, um, there's only uh, the, the peak of the season is October, November, and December, whether it's out of California, Oregon, and Washington. Those are the three main states that supplies us in the West Coast. Uh, I bet you didn't know that California is a large producer of, of apples as well. Uh, but, you know, many other states across the country, such as New York and Michigan and Minnesota, does have an apple season for their local area there. But one other variety that I'm really excited about, since you guys like the Hidden Rose so much, is those green dragon apples. They're green on the exterior. They have a white flesh. But I would say, mm -hmm. even though it looks like a Granny Smith right now, it actually is super sweet versus unlike a Granny Smith, which is super tart. So that is actually my favorite tasting apple out of hand are those green dragon apples. And the season goes, uh, it started in mid-October and only goes until the end of December. And that is the season. Well, Kat and I just bit into one, and man, that's delicious. It is good. 
Awesome. I, I'm definitely going to be using these apples in my apple butter, so I better order some now before they're all gone. Robert, I have a question for you. You sent us some persimmons. What's the best way to gauge whether a persimmon is ripe or not? Okay, well, first of all, you've got to know that there's four varieties of persimmons. Of course, the fall season is the peak of the season because it is domestic, and um, mostly persimmons for the United States come into California at this time. The main season starts in October. Well, actually, the chocolate persimmons, one of the few weird interesting varieties start super early. That's in like September. But in October, the main varieties come into season. So there's one that's large and heart-shaped. That is called the Hachia variety. There's one that looks like a flattened tomato. It's much firmer. It is called the Fuyi variety. And I'm excited um, that actually this week just started my favorite variety of persimmon called the cinnamon persimmon. Each of them have their own flavor. Um, they're, you know, obviously orange to the skin and orange in color. But the cinnamon persimmons, when you bite into a cinnamon persimmon, it actually has, instead of just an orange flesh, it also has little brown speckles. It looks like, like pepper, like salt and pepper shaking. Okay. But it's actually, they're brown sugar pockets of sweetness. So of all four varieties between the chocolate, the fuyu, the hachia, the cinnamon persimmon is actually my favorite pick. They're harder to come by, but you can find it at our at our website at melissa.com or try your local produce department and ask for the cinnamon persimmons. Uh, persimmon season goes all the way until December, and then we get to the import season. So most often than not, you'll see persimmons obviously now and all the way until about February. So you sent us the Fuyus, and Kat is cutting into one right now, and all oh, the flesh is just beautiful. Really pretty, Robert. So the Fuyu variety is one of those varieties that is just firmer, and so it slices easily. Um, unlike the Hachia, the larger heart-shaped ones, those ones you have to wait until they get really soft and gushy. Um, and so those are the ones that are more juicy. Mm -hmm. However... I like the Fuyu variety because they're firmer, so they never truly get soft, but it's, it's, a, it's a fruit that you can actually enjoy, like on a charcuterie platter, yes. um, a fresh uh, fruit and vegetable platter to enjoy with charcuterie meats and cheeses. So, um, and, uh, so the Fuyu, the flattened tomato variety, is one of those ones that um, does stay firm um, and almost... Almost crisp, almost like between a pear and an apple. Lovely flavor, really nice. It's so pretty, but a pretty orange too. Robert, I'll tell you what really caught my eye in your package: um, the riced hearts of palm and the hearts of palm pasta. Tell me about those. Okay, well, I mentioned at the beginning that we, Melissa's just introduced some exciting new uh, produce items for the produce department. And, you know, we've always offered cauliflower and, and, uh, and, um, and uh, uh, spaghetti squash, which are used, like, for example, the cauliflower, you know, you can get at your local store cauliflower rice, right? right. And then also, you know, an all-gluten-free noodle out of, the, out of the spaghetti squash can be used um, as a pasta 
alternative, um, you know, especially if you're gluten-free and you're, or you're vegan, uh, that is a good alternative. But now we have these two new items. We do, we've always done hearts of palm, but now we do a hearts of palm rice and a hearts of palm pasta. Both of them simulate what you believe is rice or pasta. The difference is they're not made out of gluten. They're not made out of true noodle. They're made from um, the hearts of palm. And if you've ever had hearts of palm, and you'll notice it's kind of it's kind of like string cheese, and that's how they're able to keep the texture because mm. they're they make like pasta strands. Um, and then, of course, the rice, because Hearts of Palmer seems to be a bit firmer, um, just like they did with cauliflower rice, they've done it, we've done it with Hearts of Palm. So there is a new alternative to your traditional pasta noodles and your traditional rice, especially if you're like gluten free or vegan. And you can do that now with both Melissa's Hearts of Palm products that it comes in both pasta and rice. They're delicious, and it's a great um, alternative to your typical noodle or rice. 35 calories, 7 grams of carbs uh, per serving, What the, and vegan-friendly. That's wonderful. That's on the right. Yes. So there's, a, yeah. there's great... Uh, there's great, um, you know, it's a very low-carb, low you know, for those who are on a, a certain carb diet and whatnot. And then um, also it's just a, a great way to get your kids or spouses to, to enjoy more produce-based items, um, whether it's a, it's a main dish or a side dish. Now I'm looking at the pasta and the... Um it's zero cholesterol, zero fats, zero on the sodium, which is absolutely wonderful. Low carbohydrates is seven grams per serving. And, you know, I take care of a lady who's diabetic, so this would be very good for her on her diet as well. So I'm excited to try these with her. Yes, I, I mean, and literally use them as you would regular noodles. The only difference is is that you just need to warm them up so you don't have to go through the whole boiling process. Um, you know, what's easy is I made the pasta and meatballs the, uh, the other day. You can use um, meat alternative meatballs made with soy um, or, you know, tofu and whatnot. And so all I did was warm up the pasta sauce first, okay? And then when you get towards the end when your pasta sauce warm, Add in the the um, hearts of palm pasta. Cook it for just about two minutes, just so it warms it uh, the noodles up because they're already cooked and pretty much ready to go. And then, of course, the same for the rice. You don't have to go through the whole boiling process. You just need to heat it up. There's simple uh, heat instructions on the package, and you would use it in any type of rice. You know, whether you're making a stir fry or just a a, a, a a rice side dish to anything that you're eating, whether Asian, Mediterranean, or any other cultural dish, but the rice doesn't need to go through the full cooking process. Couldn't be any simpler. And beautiful packaging, too, Robert. Oh, thank you. So that's something to look forward to. Look to your local produce department um, as 
I believe America is getting more into fruits and vegetables and just the, the food technology and the science behind it where you can create these products with like uh, no added preservative, no canned, no added processing and all these other things added that consider, you know, that are considered um, unhealthy. We're just making an all natural product available, especially for those who are not, who are uh, looking for good gluten-free and vegan options um, for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And that's what we're doing with these products because they're so convenient. And if you get home at five o'clock and you're ready to make something, you don't have to go through the, the, the cooking and boiling process as, as rice and noodles always take about 20 to 40 minutes right. to get ready to go. So. Well, while you're on your uh, we're on your package goods, I just uh, passed Cat uh, along the box of the uh, peeled and steamed chestnuts. Yes, and you know chestnuts. Even though we offer Melissa's steamed chestnuts on a year-round basis, America loves the flavor of chestnuts because it, it's so prevalent in a lot of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Even though the fresh season has just started in late October and usually goes until December. Um, it's a great ingredient in your Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's things. But the thing is, is that these steamed chestnuts, which are already peeled out of the, I don't know if you've ever, you and Tom, you and uh, Kat have ever made fresh chestnuts it is a process if you don't know how to do it it's very dangerous you have to score the shell you have to um usually typically it's oven roasted and it takes about 30 40 minutes these are already peeled and steamed in a cryovac package the ingredients does not include anything but chestnuts that have been steamed and packaged in this technology for it to allow not all this extra preservative and sodium and all that stuff that is usually looked upon on items that are heavily processed or uh, preserved in a fluid or can. No, these are chestnuts straight out of the package. Again, you can warm them up. You don't even have to warm them up. You can literally throw them into a, a fall leafy green salad um, or just add it in at the very end if you were making like a stuffing or using the flavor, whether in a baked dish, like a bread or a tart, or if you're, you're just using it as a side dish with um, some other components like green beans um, or other types of uh, beans that may accompany your whole Thanksgiving menu. It's just a delicious way to enjoy. And, you know, the price of fresh chestnuts are extremely expensive, uh, you know, in the shell. However, these steamed and peeled ones, which are available year-round and peak uh, in popularity around the fall time, is a really good deal. Um, and you don't have to deal with all the extra cooking and shelling and storing and burning yourself and trying to create what we've done in this package. In fact, uh, Tom and Cat, we do actually a whole line of steamed cryovac packaged products like beets and lentils and black eyed peas and artichoke hearts mm. among other products uh, we're just making these items most convenient to the average consumer 
who typically will save anywhere from 15 minutes to 40 minutes, um, and plus all the messiness, especially like when you're working with like beets that are already steamed and ready to go out of the package. It's just so easy uh, to use these products and enhance the dishes that you're creating for your family and friends. I think uh, one of the, the menu suggestions you have on the back is with Brussels sprouts, and I can't wait to, to try that. I know that's one of Tom's very <laughs> least favorite <laughs> veggies, but I love Brussels sprouts, so I can't wait to try that. And uh, I'm sure you've got recipes for these on the on Melissa's website, so I can't yes. wait to go on there and, and look it all up. Yeah, a classic. Uh, even though Brussels sprouts are available on a year-round basis, uh, the domestic season peaks during the fall season. So you're going to see a lot of Brussels sprouts out there. I find that Brussels sprouts is a love-hate relationship. Yes. Either you love them or you hate them. And you know the funny thing? Back when I was a kid, it was like a punishment to eat uh, Brussels sprouts. But the, the, back then, you know, our parents, um, I'm, I'm dating myself here, it was more of a punishment than trying to eat those greens, you know, and many of those um, um, Brussels sprouts were available like like canned or frozen. And when it goes through the, those two processes of canned with heavy preservative or through the frozen process, they just don't taste as they taste now fresh. And it's so funny because the younger generation they didn't know that Brussels sprouts at one time used to be a punishment. <laughs> Brussels sprouts are extremely popular with the younger generations because they're actually getting to enjoy fresh because of its availability fresh on a year-round basis, no longer a seasonal thing. But Brussels sprouts is now a new traditional classic for a Thanksgiving dish. And, yes, it pairs so well with um, Melissa's steamed chestnuts, of course. Back when I was a child, we had Brussels sprouts, and I think they were fresh Brussels sprouts, but, and my mom, who was a fabulous cook, never really did anything with Brussels sprouts other than just steam them, and I think we had them with butter, which wasn't bad, but it wasn't real good either, and in right, a way, right. it was sort of a punishment, uh, but my brother and I, we used to call them <laughs> drunken heads. <laughs> okay. There's another new name for them. So, you know, and actually... Uh, only during this time of the season, I forgot to mention, that you can actually now buy Brussels sprouts on the stock. There's no other fresher Brussels sprout than buying them on the stock because um, they're actually still living and growing on the stock. I think most people are familiar with, like, butter lettuce still living. You'll notice mm -hmm. that the butter lettuce continues to stay, you know, when you bring it home from the store. It has a really good shelf life because it's literally still growing. Here, Brussels sprouts on a stock, you just cut off the Brussels sprouts when you're ready to eat them. They have such great taste, flavor. Again, Brussels sprouts are a love-hate, and if you've hated them when you were an adult or through your childhood, you'll love them as an adult. I said that wrong. If you hated them as a kid, Try Brussels sprouts again, fresh, whether it's on the stock or by Melissa's, because they're absolutely delicious, and they they have, you know, green vegetables are your healthiest vegetables, and they're a good serving of fiber, just to let you know. So don't try to eat about 100 of them at a <laughs> sitting, because they do contain a lot of fiber, very similar <laughs> to, you know, 
cabbage. So, you know, eat everything in moderation. Don't go crazy. And the texture, I, I love, you know, because, you know, when my kids were like, they're like, are these little cabbages? And I go, yes, the little cabbages, because I wanted them to enjoy it because I was stunted when I was a kid. And uh, so my kids think they're just little baby cabbages, which technically they almost are. It's just a, a, a distant cousin to the regular head of cabbage, but it does have a lot of fiber like traditional cabbage. Well, I'll give them another try. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, we also have um, pomegranates here. Oh, yes. It's just like uh, uh, persimmons are very resemblance of of uh, not only the California season, but of fall flavors, pomegranates are too. Even though pomegranate arrows, the little seeds that you can find in the packages on a year-round basis, fresh pomegranates from California uh, started up usually in September, uh, mid to late September, and will go until about February-ish. And this is the time of the season where you're going to be able to find them like in shippers, like in large um, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, those big uh, um, shippers that you would see in a store where you would find, like, mixed squash or pumpkins. You're going to find a lot of pomegranates now in the season, in, in season now. Uh, very different from your typical uh, pear or apple. Um, and definitely has one of those great fall flavors that you can use not only in a raw, enjoying the arrows, those are the little seeds on the inside that, um, that you can enjoy. So you can find them raw whole where you would enjoy them by opening up. And, and uh, what I like to do for pomegranates to extract the white pulp and the seeds, if you cut open a pomegranate and then uh, put it in water in a bowl, all, and then use your hands to swish out the seeds and the pulp. Now, the pulp, which is the white stuff on the inside, which is fibrous, it will float to the top. Mm. All yeah. the seeds that are edible will sink to the bottom. Cool. That is the easiest and less, um, especially if you're wearing your, your, your white chef apron, <laughs> that's the least messy way to do them. And then you can just strain out the pulp that floats up and then strain out the seeds at the very end. But as I mentioned, you'll also see them value added. Sometimes they're in little clamshell containers or like a cock where you can just get the pomegranate arrows. And that just saves you that extra step of trouble. So that's the value added package, whether you enjoy them fresh um, out of the um, out of the out of the fresh fruit itself or already seeded and ready to go. The arrows are ready to go in a cup or container. Um, and uh, so those are two ways to conveniently eat and enjoy more pomegranate into your diet. There's so many great um, uh, recipes on our, on our website at melissa.com, whether you use them in a salad, whether you use them in a savory dish. I love to put them in my guacamole. Really? That's, a, that's, a new, that's my new secret ingredient okay. in guacamole and avocado toast. You've got to try it. You're on. I will. Now, before we get to potatoes, let's cover some of the uh, onion products, like uh, shallots. Not really an onion, but in the onion family, right? 
Correct. I always just call the shallot a very refined onion. Okay. They're smaller in size. They're very pungent, but they add an extra uh, something, an extra flavor, just something that you don't see at a re out of a regular onion, which is really pungent, or a sweet onion. They're somewhere in between there, and it just has an overall refined flavor. You can use it as a substitute for an onion in many dishes. Um, and they are smaller in size. They're, you peel them as you would a, a regular onion and a garlic clove. So basically what I would do on a garlic clove when you, peel, when you pull it out from its cloves, you smack it um, <laughs> on the side with a, with a chef knife okay. onto the actual clove and you'll notice um, that the, the papery dried shallot will kind of just pull off. And you, a lot of chefs and people who know how to do shallot, who know how to do garlic, also know how to do shallots and how to peel them really easily to get that dry uh, shallot flaking skin off it so you can work with the interior of it easier so you can either mince it, slice it, chop it, depending on how you're using. Most often than not, in shallots, very thin slices or even a mince is typical for shallots because, again, it offers a very refined flavor, and it's just um, a great ingredient that you can find on a year-round basis. Melissa's is just known for their shallots. Believe it or not, we stopped importing shallots about 20 years ago from France because of the popularity of them, that actually for the last 25 years, we grow them out of the Magic Valley in Idaho, uh, the state that is known not only for potatoes, but for onions and, uh, of course, especially shallots. And uh, whether you call it shallot or shallot, right. tomato, tomato, um, that is how you work with a shallot. And it's, it's a lot easier than you think and peeling it just as you would a garlic bulb. Well, I'm going to try that. That sounds fabulous. And we also have uh, the assorted pearl onions that you sent, Robert. Well, pearl onions is a natural for pearls and peas for Thanksgiving. That is one of the most traditional side recipes around the Thanksgiving table, you know, with your traditional turkey and ham and all the stuffing and fixings. You know, uh, pearl onions are uh, just your smallest little onion. In fact, uh, there's an, I'm going to give you the easy way in how you peel them. Uh, you don't try to peel them by hand. It will take forever. Because they're a small uh, onion about the size of a quarter, what you do is you blanch them. So you heat them up. You blanch them for about two minutes in water, and then strain them out. Uh, you don't want to burn yourself taking out the onions. Let them rest for just a little bit. And literally, you just push on each of the onions, and it will just literally spit out the onion. That is the pearl of the onion that you would use in a side dish, most traditionally with peas. However, you can use it multifaceted for your Thanksgiving table, whether in the stuffing, whether used in a casserole dish there. It imparts a sweet 
and unusual texture for an onion because they're round bulbs, hence the name pearl. Um, but I want to give you a tip that I don't think most Americans are familiar with. Now, the traditional pearls and peas is they use, most often than I, 80% of America uses white pearls. However, there are gold pearls and there are also red pearl onions. And I'm going to give you a tip. The white pearl onions are super mild, and I guess a lot of people like that. However, I'm the, I'm the chef at home here for my uh, family. I like sweet onions, so I actually like prefer to use red pearl onions or gold pearl onions because they're sweeter. The sweetest ones are the red, mm. and those are the ones I typically use. But you can find them in the stores, your traditional white, all gold, all red, or in many cases, I think I sent you guys to try the mixed pearl onions that have both the red, the gold, and the white pearls for your next side dish, whether it's with peas or possibly used in a casserole or some type of uh, salad with some other leafy greens and veggies like cauliflower or broccoli, the pearl onions adds not only a great appearance to them, but a flavor uh, that is not as pungent, but more sweet of an onion. That sounds really good. My mind is just going, thinking <laughs> of all the different ways I could use those. And like you, I, I think I would probably go more with the, uh, with the red. Yes. So, you know, those, are, those choices are there. Even though they're available on a year-round basis, they too are grown. Is the peak of the season leading up to Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, because that's where they're most popular. Even though they're available year-round, they too, just like the shallots, are grown in the Magic Valley in Idaho, where the uh, conditions are right to grow these uh, specialty onions. And, um, you know, the Magic Valley with the volcanic-rich soils is, is fed by the Snake River, which is the main river that goes through um, Idaho and those volcanic rich soils that came down from volcanoes way back in way back in the day uh, from the from the northwest that settled all its uh, dirt and volcanic soils in Idaho, making that the most ideal place for potatoes and onions. And uh, we are now in the fall season at the peak of the season for pearl onions. So make sure you do something special and traditional. Or your Thanksgiving with the with these Melissa's pearl onions. So, Kat, what is that you're holding? It's a large. Well, I'm holding the uh, the Charleston yam, and we also have a package of the baby Japanese yams. And and one of my questions, and I'm sure it's probably a big question with everybody. Everybody gets a sweet potato and yams mixed up. <laughs> okay, I get this question every fall by many news. Uh, news food writers and publications. I'm going to set the record straight. I, I continue to I continue to feed this call every year for the past 25 years here at Melissa's Produce because we're known for our yams and sweet potatoes. All in all, what we call yams in the United States are technically sweet potatoes. However, in the southeast, they don't buy sweet potatoes. They only buy yams. A lot of yams are grown in the southeast there, and they only buy yams. They buy it by that name. But botanically, they're really all sweet potatoes because yams 
are a are actually a root variety that does not have an skin and does not have color on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yams are typically botanically not grown in the United States, but in every country around the world grows yams. They have a thick skin, they're white flesh, they're very starchy. You're not going to make fries out of these yams, <laughs> out of a typical yam, because you really have to add a lot of seasoning to it. Now, what's a sweet potato? Commonly known as a yam. A sweet potato, one, is grown in the United States. We grow sweet potatoes. We never have to import them in. There's so many different varieties. There's garnet. There's jewel. There's the, the purple Charleston. There's the Japanese. There's so many different varieties. But one thing's for sure that classifies it as sweet potato. One, when you cook it, it is sweet in flavor. Two, the skin is actually edible. I think most people don't know that uh, sweet potatoes slash yams have an edible, very thin skin, thinner than a russet potato. And uh, three uh, are grown in the United States, especially in the Southeast. But Melissa sweet potatoes, whether it's full size or baby size, we carry all different sizes and all different flavors. I specifically sent you two varieties that America doesn't know much about. One is the Charleston, which is a purple sweet potato, purple on the outside and purple on the inside. When you cook it, it actually gets sweeter. And again, Kat and Tom, do not, do not peel the, the skin. The skin is delicious just on, whether you do a smash or whether you do fries. Keep the skin on. There's, it packs a lot of flavor and extra texture to that menu item that you're going to enjoy because even though sweet potatoes slash yams are available on a year-round basis, the peak of the season is October, November, and December because that's when traditionally people are used to it. And, of course, sweet potatoes slash yams are traditional um, in your um, in your um, Thanksgiving menu as well. Oh, also I forgot to mention <laughs> it's a sweet potato because yams do not there's only two colors of yams that exist in this this world they're either white or they're purple however mm. they're not sweet the sweet potatoes taste sugary sweet you have you don't have to add a lot of sugar or other stuff to it to make them taste good so i hope that kind of clarifies what's the difference between a yam and a sweet potato Perfect. canning companies that sell them um They'll, depending on whether it's distributed, like on the West Coast, they put they, they market sweet potatoes. But mainly on the East Coast, especially in the Southeast, they do not buy sweet potatoes in the can. They will buy the yams in a can. It's the exact same product. It's just about marketing to your local customer. But I don't recommend those cans. I no, say no. fresh is always best. Now, the other variety that I sent you, because... I brought. I sent you the Charleston purple yams that add such a great flavor, texture, and and, and treat sweetness in that yam. Japanese yams. That's the that's the Japanese yam sweet potato that a lot of people don't know about. These you'll you'll easily recognize them because they have a kind of a magenta skin on the outside and on the inside it's actually a cream color. 
um, as a traditional yam have. However, these are botanically sweet potatoes slash yam, and the Japanese, I think, are the sweetest of all the um, sweet potatoes. I think most people think, because the more common ones are those orange uh, garnets or the yellow-orangish jewels, they think those are sweet. No, the Japanese, the, the Japanese yams slash sweet potatoes, they're definitely the sweetest. I have a sweet tooth, so I prefer the sweetness level of those Japanese yams, whether they're traditional size or baby size, but definitely when they're baby size, there is no reason whatsoever to skin that sweet potato. But of course, you always need to um, clean your fruits and vegetables, especially on potatoes or sweet potatoes and yams, this kind, because you want to make sure that they're clean before you start cooking with them, of course. And Robert, I do love the skin. I always eat the skin. It's the best part, I think. Me too. Yeah. You know, what's been so um, so popular food service is, um, and you'll know that this most often the next time you go out, they now, uh, many of the places that make, you know, traditional French fries, you know, out of a russet or Kennenbach potato, um, sweet potato or yam fries, such a popular thing. And also, make your own potato chips with these sweet potato yams and all the different colors that they come in. You know, I mentioned their cream color, purple color. Um, these are just been so popular to make, whether with your fryer or even your air fryer, yes. to make these uh, fries and potato chips with it's it, it just adds an extra flavor and elegance to your meal your kids will love them especially if they've never tried them before but they're just so trendy during the fall season <laughs> i can't wait to try that i do have an air fryer and i can't wait to try that let's talk about the uh, fingerling potato medley ah yes you know fall is not a fall without potatoes so, as you know, uh, our, all these different varieties of potatoes, um, majority actually, believe it or not, come out of Oregon, just like, the, uh, just like the onions I was talking about earlier. But you've touched upon one of the most popular, trendy uh, varieties of baby potatoes that are available in the United States, and those are the Fink Melissa's Fingerling Potatoes. These are heirloom varieties that are brought back into the marketplace. They uh, have an unusual shape, size, and color to them, um, which also give them, gives them a unique flavor, uh, but also texture as well. So some of them are like little banana shapes. Some of them are round like a traditional potato. But the thing is, is that in the mixed pack, there's going to be about three or four different varieties. There's going to be a purple variety called the purple Peruvian. There's going to be a, a yellow variety like a butterball or a German yellow. Uh, there's going to be a red, like a French variety, a red skin variety, and or a white flesh variety as well. But one thing's for sure. You're going to have a lot of color on the plate for your next meal or presentation. See, the, the thing is that I've been talking about baby potatoes for a long time. You know, when you compare them to the rest of the potato, there really is no comparison. I mean, the baby potatoes, first of all, you don't have to skin them. Most people mm -hmm. like to skin the rest of the potato because it's kind of a thicker skin. Even though if you have potato skins, the skin is edible. But that's, that, that's a texture thing. Um, a traditional russet potato will take about 40 minutes to cook in the oven. When you're working with baby, 
potatoes, like fingerling potatoes, you know, it will take a tenth the amount of time to cook them, whether it's on the barbecue, whether it's sauteing them, however you like cooking your potatoes. Um, I mentioned the skin is edible, but the flavor profiles and the colors that the fingerling varieties offer in the package is what makes it so spectacular. This has always been a chef favorite for decades. And um, we're just seeing the fingerling potatoes become more and more available in, in your typical produce department across the United States. Just look for them next to your baby red potatoes, which are so common in your produce department, which is not too far away from that big stack of russet potatoes <laughs> that America thinks is traditional. And you, I guess you can make a traditional uh, mash with the russet potatoes. But have you ever had a sweeter, not having to use a stick of butter or a lot of sour cream to enjoy those mashed potatoes using just baby potatoes? It makes a great smash as well and adds some texture to your mashed potatoes, which is a traditional um, dish for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, hands down, once you start working with baby potatoes, you might not go back to your russet and um, try it if you've never tried it. But this has always been the chef's secret in restaurants in serving these fingerling potatoes in particular, not only for flavor, but also color presentation on your next meal on your plate. You know, I've been a, a potato-holic <laughs> my whole life, and I really enjoy your baby uh, potatoes. And it's a great alternative to just like regular french fries, too. You know, if you want a side dish to go with your burger or, you know, sandwich or whatever, you could make these uh, uh, fingerlings, your baby potatoes, up as a perfect side dish as an alternative to, to French fries. Yes, and well, you would, because um, you can't technically make long traditional fries because the baby potatoes are small, you instead of referring them to French fries, you would refer to them as nuggets. Ah. Um, so ah, okay. you can simply just cut them into fourths because, you know, the most of uh, the fingerling potatoes are about the size of a golf ball. Right. And you can just do, you know, kind of like chicken nuggets, but they're fried with the potatoes. And the good thing is you don't have to use heavy condiments uh, to enjoy the flavor of them. They would Most kids would use half the amount of uh, ketchup because that's kind of a traditional or ranch on a fry. Uh, but with the baby potatoes, you make these uh, French nuggets uh, for uh, making traditional French fries using these baby potatoes. I love it. I absolutely love it. I've, I've done that and just put a little olive oil on, maybe a little salt pepper, and put them in the oven. And, oh, my gosh, they are so good. And I think we have nearly reached the bottom of the box. We have the baby Dutch yellow potatoes. Ah, yes, Tom. You've now touched upon Melissa's signature item. Of the 1,500 different items that mm -hmm. Melissa's is known for, there's nothing more known for than our Melissa's baby Dutch yellow potatoes. They are exclusively distributed at retail for Melissa's produce. You can find them in different not only the yellow, which is the most popular variety, but we also have the, rush, the, the, the Dutch red and the Dutch blue, which are purplish in color. The Dutch yellow are most popular, and um, 
they're so popular, we decided we had to make a cookbook. And so we have a actual cookbook. It's called BYPs, which stands for Dutch Yellow Potatoes, 150 recipes on what to create with these Dutch Yellow Potatoes, hands down. Wow. Uh, they are the best-tasting potatoes and baby potatoes that are available in this country. They make such a great, especially for, like, Hanukkah, they make uh, wonderful latkes. I think a lot of people get them mixed up for what um, people refer to as, they call them baby Yukons, but there's actually no such thing as a baby Yukon. They're actually the Melissa's Dutch Yellow Potatoes because the Dutch Yellow Potatoes are signature item and found in every produce department across the country. Of course, they're grown in the Magic Valley, located in the volcanic-rich soils of Idaho, just like our other potatoes and onions. And, um, you know, if you go, if you log on to our website at melissa.com, you will be inundated with over 25 recipes using our Dutch yellow potato, whether you're using it for breakfast, whether you're using it for lunch, dinner. Also, we have Dutch yellow potato recipes. Mm. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, a chocolate cake using Dutch yellow potatoes oh, wow. and more. You have to go to our site or get that Dutch yellow potato cookbook. Um, it's simply fabulous. Um, and this is these are uh, just a few of the newer and seasonal ingredients that will you'll be a hero if you bring it to your next uh, dinner party for Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, or New Year's because these are the some of the top specialty items that you'll see in your local produce department. And what better way to season them than with Melissa's spice grinders? Ah, uh, yes. One other uh, new, uh, um, this is actually the spice grinder is not a typically new concept, but it is our fourth generation package. We've been doing grinders for a long time, but our newest spice grinders, we soup them up. There is a rainbow pepper. The rainbow pepper is the one that has uh, peppercorns, whole peppercorns that are black, red, green, and white in a, a, a top that actually grinds the whole um, spice down for when you finish up and, you know, finish up to taste your, um, your uh, every dish. Because I think traditionally salt and pepper are the most popular, um, but... Traditional black pepper, which is already grinded and ready to go. I, I don't find it so spicy. It's just so traditional yep. in dishes. But when you grind a fresh peppercorn, the flavors really come out. Um, and so look for that. We call it the rainbow uh, peppercorn um, grinder. But also, of course, we do a sea salt, but actually it's a... Himalayan pink salt, which is probably one of the more known varieties, the pink Himalayan variety uh, that is available to us. Yes, it's a pink colored uh, chunk salt, like a sea salt, which you can just grind off the top. Again, really, when you grind off the actual spice itself from the chunks, it grinds it up into a small shaving, a little bit rougher than a very fine dust or powder, but the, the right texture and it, it just grinding them up allows for the flavors to really come out in the dish. We also do three other grinder ty types. There's five. You can actually get it as a holiday pack 
and send it as a gift because these are spanking brand new to Melissa's in just the last few weeks. We do a spicy, which is uh, like a spicy um, sesame seed uh, seasoning. We do a Tuscan style seasoning, which is an Italian style seasoning grinder. And then of course we do an everything spice seasoning, which is a popular thing that you can put on avocado toast or on your bagel as a uh, spice grinder as well. So look for those four new grinders in your local produce department. My favorite has been the uh, spicy sesame. I really love that and I'm finding things that that I could put that on. I, I think, where could I add to this to have, so I could have my uh, spicy sesame because it is so good. Yes, and if you look at the ingredients, you'll see exactly. Beyond just uh, the fact that it's called a sesame seed, it also has um, core sea salt, a little bit of the rainbow pepper, um, and chili flakes. Yes. So it's also a good uh, seasoning to spice it up. I've also actually, you know, not only put it on rice and pasta dishes, but I love putting it on my pizza, and I've mm. also used it on my avocado toast Ooh. as well, just to give it that little kick. I like, I, I'm not a, I'm not a chili head or anything like that, but I do like a little spiciness in my dish, and um, you know, beyond the common rainbow peppercorns, which don't really offer a lot of heat to it, the spicy one adds the heat. Um, that fulfills that spicy um, flavor that so many people enjoy. I put it on my uh, mac and cheese that I made for my grand boys the other night, and I added a little bit onto my dish, and that was so good. And also onto uh, this plain cottage cheese. Wow, I never tried it that way. Wow, what, what does it do? Does it give a little bit of cheese? Yeah, it gives a uh, cottage cheese a little bit of extra flavor to it. Um, I used to add just green onion and black pepper to my cottage cheese, and now I'm finding I'm adding your uh, Melissa Spicy uh, onto it. And it's really oh, good. Wow. Uh, I've got to give that a try. I've never tried that before. And, you know, ironically, you know, if you ever have something that's really spicy, not that the, the spicy sesame seasoning is, like, going to really burn your tongue. You know, it's, it, it, it's very low in Scoville or heat level. But it's ironic because dairy is the best thing you can have, you know, whether it's milk, whether it's cottage cheese, whether it's butter. That's the best way to help extinguish the burn in your mouth in case you have too much spice or too much pepper, uh, chili peppers in a dish. Yeah, I'm not a real spicy person either, but I found that Melissa's is just just enough spice for me. Yeah, I'm the spice sound here. Robert, as, as always, we appreciate your time. We appreciate Melissa's. Uh, thanks to you, we're going to have a bountiful Thanksgiving table. And we'll be taking Great. pictures to share with you. Awesome. Hey, thanks, you guys. It was, uh, again, uh, 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 an honor to be on your show. I thank you for putting put, – I mean, we just did it last season – and uh, always enjoy uh, what you guys are doing in the kitchen and the conversations we have about making um, exciting produce on your dish there and also to the forefront of getting people to eat a more um, produce in their everyday diet. So thank you guys for having me on there. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again uh, next season, hopefully. Robert Schuler, 
with Melissa's Produce, our official produce sponsor, Melissa's.com. Is he just incredible? I, I mean, his just knowledge. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You could just throw anything at him, and he could tell, tell you all about it. Yep. And, and the produce is just top shelf. There's just nothing that compares. Yes, I'm excited to try my own, my own apple butter with these with these apples. Yeah, and we're going to have some wonderful goodies on our Thanksgiving table. Yes, we are. Thanks to Melissa's. Thanks to Melissa's, and thanks to Mama Cat's going to be cooking them. That's right. Well, I'm going to help. You yes, know you're going to help. You always help. You're a good cook. And you've known GBK, the Gunboat Kings, for I know that you've discussed it. How many years now? Gosh, what did we figure out? Fifteen, something like that. Something like that. Such great guys. And. Uh, yeah, and I knew Tom Ballone, their keyboard player, long before that. So I've known them uh, from other bands, but now they've been together for quite a while. And we did have Nick Calandrino from Good Boats on our show early in our, our season. I guess you call this our season. Did, did we get Tom or did we have to reschedule him? No, we We're didn't still, get Tom. We, Tom passed it over to Nick. Yeah. Well, we'd love to visit with Tom one of these days. Yes, because Tom has an incredible history going way back all the way to the Let's Eat days and right. before that. So anyway, let's get on with Eldon. Eldon Lasalda, who plays saxophone, uh, vocals, and occasional guitar. Yes. Yep. Singer-songwriter. Well, Tom, I am so thrilled to have Eldon Lasalda from the Gunboat Kings and Tightrope. Me too on our show today. Eldon, thank you for being on our show. We're both big fans. Oh man, thank you so much for asking. It's a pleasure to be here today, thank you. Um, You and I go back a long time, longer than I realized. I said 10 years, but the other day you said 15 years, and you're probably right, at least 15 years. Yeah, it's been a while, Kat. uh, I I think one of the first concerts we did, I think, is when I met you through Bill, I think. Oh, through uh, Bill McFadden, Snickers. I always call him Snickers. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. My Snake Man, yes. Uh, that was back with uh, Seventh Son. Is that the name of the band? Actually, it was called the Night Creatures. At the oh, time. Night Creatures. That's right. How yeah, soon they right. forget, Eldon? How soon they forget? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we are talking about a few years, right? Right. <laughs> That might have been uh, one of Bill's old bands. I'm not sure. I get I get them all mixed up at these <laughs> at this point. But yeah, especially they start changing names of people, right? <laughs> so yeah, it gets so hard. Um, yeah, we've done well. Uh, the band started about 2004. Um, as three of us have started playing together in 2004, and three of us are still together right now. So it's it's been a long legacy of of efforts and time, and uh, I've enjoyed a lot a lot with the guys. And that's with uh, Tommy Ballone. Mr. Tom Balloon and Nick Calandrino. Right. Yes. Wow. You know, Tommy and I go way back. I mean, I knew of Tommy before I actually met him. He was my late husband's best friend. Yes, they played together, didn't they? Yeah, back in the uh, yeah. Let's Eat days. And, uh, wow. And Crossfire and a few other bands. They were uh, friends from high school. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So- it goes way back, and uh, finally got to meet Tommy after all those years. And Tommy and I have been really good friends, so it's it's been wonderful. And I'm so glad to to meet everybody else with the band, you and and Nick, and you've got uh, was it John and I don't know who else on who's who's drumming with you. Um, 
Well, we got John Wilkerson. He was also the drummer of Tightrope, the other band I played. Mm. He's, he's been playing with us for almost five years now. Uh, and John Sleeker uh, was the bass player that came in uh, uh, right at the time that Bill was leaving, a little bit before then. So, yeah, some of the guys have joined us in, but the band as a whole right now has been at least, uh, except for one player, I think probably at least close to eight, nine, ten years. Wow. So it's just, yeah, you know, and it's surprising when you think about even the famous bands, you know, Beatles and, and a lot of those guys, you know, we were playing for four or five years together. Um, I can't even imagine what they must have got done in that short period of time, given we've been playing twice as long, you know. So, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible, really. So. Yeah, you asked me the other day about uh, about some stuff about me, Cap. What uh, what kind of threw you in that area? I don't want to. Well, that's. Well, you started. You mentioned that you had started uh, when you were very young. Uh, you want to go from there and talk about how you got going in music? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Uh, just I can recover real quick. I just I, I started in elementary school, uh, playing in a high school band. You know, in the, in the elementary bands. Lugging saxophones back on buses back and forth. You know, when you ask you, when you wonder, you ask yourself many, many times, why am I doing this? I guess because my parents were on for me. Um, so I did that, and then I went into marching band and the jazz band in high school. And then I quit playing uh, in school. I continued on in college, but I quit playing in school, but I started playing in local bands. I, started, I had started playing in rock bands at that time. Um, and I quit in 84 abruptly kind enough to make sure that I was, had room, plenty of room for a business that I had started. And I quit playing for about eight, no, about 13, 14 years, actually. I didn't play in any bands. I really wow. didn't touch my instruments too much. Um, I did some home recording and stuff when it first came out, but that was about all. And then just gradually started working back into it. I just kind of as a, as time allotted and your child life starts balancing out a little bit, I just I seem to get more time, I guess is what happened. And started being able to find time to play. Um, and then it just kind of launched itself out into first jams and then local bands and then kind of sitting in with them. And then um, Bill and Tom picked me up, you know, in, in 2004 at a local jam. And we formed the band at the time called The Night Creatures. And that's been kind of the legacy that's happened. So oh, it's kind of been steps that happened. And I never thought I was going to come back to playing, I guess. At, there was a point in time when you put this stuff down, you just think you're done with it, I guess. It's going to go into the closets and sooner or later end up in a garage sale, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but it, uh, you know, I, I came back alive and man, I, I really enjoyed playing and I've had a lot of fun and I've really had a lot of really good players around me that's really helped me a lot. So I've enjoyed it a lot. What's the origin of the name Gunboat Kings? Uh, well, um, hmm, there's actually not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's honest. <laughs> we uh here's what happened we had uh we had disbanded the, the seven sons um and reforming it we actually we weren't disbanding but we were reforming the band and right in the middle of reforming the band uh, the coach house contacted us and wanted us to play for a, a, a concert so we had a concert but we didn't have a name of a band and we didn't have actually put the newer tunes together yet to kind of reintroduce ourselves so uh, we had to really scamper quite a bit right there for a, a while. And so we came to one rehearsal and I said, okay, everybody write down all of the names you can think of you like, and we'll all come together and then we'll do a real class vote, you know, maybe on the break or something, we'll go out and do it. Well, we did it twice and we ran out of names because nobody could agree on anything. <laughs> so, so, so we all went back into the rehearsal room for a job that we're going to come up that we still don't have a name for a band. We had to get tickets printed. And um, actually, John Sleeker came out and started uh, talking about something, gun boats or something like that. And within about five minutes, 
uh, we all had decided in the Gunboat Kings, and we walked back in, and that was the end of that. <laughs> so, I we had to name we had to name the band something, and we had to do it real fast. And that's, what we did. <laughs> that's a <laughs> great paper napkin things, right? Ah. I wrote a song on a paper napkin. <laughs> that's a great story, Elton. But it's you know it's yeah, and it shortened itself to GBK some time back, so that it became easier, I think, for people to remember it and and and, and to endorse it. And uh, it's actually lived better than the last two names for the band, so we just kept it. We just need to work. Awesome. Nobody knows what it means, though. We can't even. <laughs> uh, Kat has seen you so many times. Uh, I uh, first saw you earlier this year when you opened for the immediate family at the Coach House, and I think you've opened for them before. What was that experience like? Boy, you know what? They're just getting ready to have a documentary come out, which I believe is going to probably move them into the full legacy level of rock and roll. But, um, you know, they are such icons of music individually um, that to have them up on stage and be playing alongside those guys was really an honor, number one. But the number two was they're so cool to talk to. Um, you know, Leland was just like, I'm sitting around at some corner, you know, pub talking to the guy about music and what we've been doing last week and last year, you know, and the most recorded bass player in history and i just just love the guy i watch his youtube things almost almost you know weekly because i just i really adore the guy he's just been a great inspiration for i think all of us at some level we really enjoyed the time with him so his youtube channel is phenomenal yeah we we, we got we got so lucky we did it in october and then they came back through one more time we got to do it in january and i thought wow it's a double hitter in like six months <laughs> these great musicians I was like, yeah, it was great. It was great. I have to smile every time I talk about this stuff, Tom, because I still have to pinch myself. You know, I, I still work during the day and go out to work eight to nine to five and stuff. So to be able to do this stuff on the side, it's just, it makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so what else? What else can I tell you? <laughs> no, I've got a 10-year-old grandson. When you're, when you're talking about joining the school band, he is starting to play sax in the school band. Do you have any words of wisdom that you would give to somebody like him starting out. Yes. Yeah, something that I've come to terms with myself in regards to playing, and I think I, I think it would have helped me a lot had I understood this earlier. Um, so when I was younger, I always used to hear about these really good performers having to practice all the time. You have to practice, 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 right? So I, I lived 12 miles out of town. I have my saxophone, I go up in my room, and I sit and I, I try to practice. The problem is, is I was forcing what I was trying to get done, and I really didn't have a methodology about what I was going to do next. I was always just going to go up and sit down with a book or read or whatever. I, don't, I didn't really have a plan, right? And so I, like about 10 years later, when I was playing in rock bands, this guitar player that I um, had known and watched just exceedingly increase his ability to the point where he was the guy in our area. And I was talking to him one time, and I said, how much do you practice a day? You know <laughs> And he looked at me kind of strange and he said, I, I don't know. I said, well, you know, how many times do you get your instrument out a day? You know, how many times do you get it out a week or stuff? And he goes, it's, it's always just kind of laying on the bed. He says, I just kind of play it whenever I want to. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's a different kind of practice. I never really thought about just doing it when you wanted to <laughs> and had it sitting out, right? Right. So, the thing that was is I would take my instrument out and I would put it away and I would clean it all up and I would set it aside. I never had it out of my room. When I, when I started playing again, you know, again, when I got serious about playing, my instruments are out all the time. My, my guitars are hanging up where I can play them off. My sax is on the stand when I come home after I'm sitting for a couple of days. So if I keep them out, 
I automatically but just want to play him. I look at him and go, wow, I'm going to do that for a while, right? So if he can get that through his mind at the very beginning where he just wants to do this out of pleasure and it draws it to him, man, you can accelerate so fast. I, I, I can't even tell you how much I improved in, over the pandemic. When in the afternoons, I would just spend like a half hour, 45 minutes just in my room, just picking around, playing on stuff. And pretty soon you just get better and better about what you want to do and how you want to get it done. So yes, as a, as a lesson of learning, don't try to force practicing, try to get in a mode that you really want to do it instead of have to. And that this leaving the instrument out all the time, I thought you have to put instruments away. I didn't know you have to leave them out of your room and just play them, you know? (laughs) So anyway, I don't know if that helps, yeah. That's great advice. That is. That's really good. I'll pass that on to him. Now, you are, besides the sax player, guitarist, and singer, you're also a songwriter. And how many of you uh, are songwriters? You you do your shows all all originals. That must be awfully hard to do all the time. But who? Um, it's kind of organic. It kind of goes organically. You know, when we first got together with the band, um, we wanted to do originals. But you really don't know how, you know, you just sit, get, everybody gets together and goes, I want to do originals today, right? Okay, what do you do? How do you start that, right? What do you want to go across? Well, fortunately, I had been recording room, been music in my room for a few years before I had started. Like I said, I did a four-track recorder and I'd done stuff, nothing serious, but I at least put, accomplished, accomplished putting different parts down and understanding how they went together. So when we first got together, Tom had done that before, Nick had done that before, and it was new for me, but I had I had, I had mechanically kind of gone through the steps before. So gradually, organically, we would try different things initially, like, try this, no, I don't like that. Try this, try this, ah, oh, that one fits, right? And so suddenly it just becomes like a building block where four or five guys start agreeing on things as you start repositioning and start thinking about how you want to do the music together. Um, and I systematically some of the songs that we did came together really fast and I'm really happy about some of them I mean some of them we've had to struggle and didn't we kind of came back and looked at it ah that doesn't work quite well you know yet but some of them just were just organically just grouped together really fast and I'm happy about that and that's probably why the band works so well together yeah you guys really do work well together you could just just see it when, when we're watching you you could just see how you're just all like family you're all connected so well it's wonderful. That comes across. Yeah, I'm glad that comes across. Yeah, I, I think I think in the background, all of us from the day one wanted it to be that. We didn't want to be somebody else. We didn't want to be a tribute. We didn't want to be, you know, a, a, a kind of a copying of another style. I think all of us were kind of ventured out being wanted to be ourselves, and I, I think that's why everybody's so comfortable on stage because I think at some level everybody feels they're being part of the music. You know, they're part of the music. So you're going to be opening for Ambrosia in uh, December. Uh, that's going to be fun. December 22nd. Love the band. Done them twice. You know, opened for them twice before. Very, very high-level musician guys. I, I was really surprised by those guys. I'm excited. It's a very good show. And they can rock They can rock out, can't they? Yeah. Wow, the energy they put out. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, really good. Well, we're, good definitely, we're definitely going to try to make that one. <laughs> okay. I try to make every concert that you guys play because I never get tired of the Gunboat Kings. As, you know, it's so nice to hear, Cat. You know, because, you know, obviously, some level, everybody gets burnt out, right? But it's so nice to hear that. It's really, it's a pleasure to put music out and have people appreciate it. You know? Oh, well, you're wonderful. And so, what is the uh, website for the Gunboat Kings? Um, d- www.gunboatkings.com. 
Well, that's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know one thing about it. Nobody else in the world is going to have that same name. That's (laughs) true. (laughs) Now, your band, Tightrope, you're a a cover dance band? Cover dance band. um, And, you know, that band has has done a great job of, of... of strengthening itself in the Southern California Orange area, Southern Irvine area. Um, we came out of the pandemic. We went into the, in my opinion, we kind of went into the pandemic one band and we came out on, on the other side. Uh, we've added two more players. We're playing some of the better houses in, you know, South Irvine and South Orange County, uh, down along the beach area and stuff. We're doing a great job with the band, keeping really active. And uh, we've built a good following behind us. Uh, and once again, it's, it's kind of a, a kinship of good musicians working together and enjoying time. So yeah, you played uh, last Saturday. I think it was at was it the Swallows Inn in Capistrano. Oh, that's yeah, Kat. You guys ever will come down there? You're gonna have a good time. I'm gonna warn you. I okay. haven't been there in a long time. So, and I, sounds like a plan. <laughs> I think my friend Susan yeah. went. I don't know if she got to meet you or not. I told her to to go up and tell you that you were. Oh, she did. I did forgot she? to tell you, yes, she did. She was such a nice lady. She sat there most of the afternoon. Good. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she was very nice. Yes, um, we put, it's right across from the mission down there in San Juan Capistrano, so it's right in the kind of an entertainment area. And so we get a lot of foot traffic through the afternoons in there, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a nice venue. I like going. I've been there in ages, so I'll take Tom there because it is really fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Well, uh, Eldon, thank you so much, and um, I look forward to seeing you, and um, and of course, always the whole band, and uh, and it was oh, I was gonna say too, it was nice to see you with um, at the coach house when you sat in with uh, the Ronstadt revival. Yeah, with the Linda Ronstadt revival. Yeah, that was an honor and a pleasure. Uh, Not- the band and, and Shannon are are great people. Treated me really well, and it was a great show. And they they are a first class. Um, entertainment group. I really enjoyed playing with them. Really good. Yeah, not not Thank yet, Elton. Not not yet, Elton. You remember that? You started going up on stage. Not yet, Elton. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Thank you. You know, you're the only person that's brought that up since the concert. Yeah. Well, I I told Shannon I'm a really good musician. I just can't count from one to ten. It was a great moment. Yeah, well, we all have them, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it, was, it was great to see you there, so, and you really uh, blended in so nice, you know, yeah, with Yeah, them. it was, like, once again, good, good group of people. It's hard not to, but those guys, it was very nice, very nice, yeah. They're going to be over Captain Jack's on uh, the 17th, I think. Uh, they're over here locally in Irvine again, uh, playing at a concert there, so I, I, everybody, I invite everybody to go there. They're really good, really good. Great. Well, Eldon, thank you so much again, and uh, really appreciate you being on our show. And like I said, I look forward to seeing you. Hopefully we'll make it to uh, December, and if not, maybe the Swallows End to see tight, Tightrope. I'd like to see them, see that band. Please, please come see us. We have, a, we have a good time as well, Kat. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed this afternoon. Thank you always for allowing me to come on and represent myself and the bands. And uh, you guys have a wonderful afternoon. And give Jeanette my love. Oh, I will.
great guy, Eldon LaSalda from the Gunboat Kings. And we're going to play uh, uh, Your Green Eyes. Your Green Eyes. Those Green Eyes. Those Green Eyes. I'll get it right one of these days. You're getting me all confused over here. Those Green Eyes. So, are we going to talk about any wine? Well, we're going to, next week we're going to talk about, we're, we're going to tease this. We're going to talk about the wine of the sea that we have. Just unbelievable. That was so good. I Ugh. can't wait to talk more about it because it's just totally fascinating. And the story is incredible. Yeah, it is. Was there another wine you wanted to talk about, or was that it? No, I thought we had that one we were going to talk about. We just got that shipment that we came We got the in. Tantara Santa Lucia Highlands Pinot Noir. That was and good. Yeah, very, very tasty. So I guess that's a wrap for another week. And we're going to finish with more of the Gunboat King. So. I love you. I love you, too. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> One step in time.
Not knowing the yearning we felt Your feelings are so high I was searching for you For so long and Sorry for the love You offered to give Never know Those green.